Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of the Bat Slam Podcast. My name is Damon here with my co-host, David. This week, we're going to run down the uh, National League and American League Division Series, and then we're going to preview the League Championship Series that are actually starting tonight as we're recording this. Uh, Phillies and San Diego are in the top of the second inning, so we'll get our predictions in before that. Um, but before we get into all that, how you doing, David? Doing good. Um, nice, a nice week there last week. Uh, no, it wasn't. But, uh, well, it was. It was nice for those of us who didn't have a, a team in the race, as it were. But um, mostly, mostly fun for me. How was it for you, though? Because I think we all know what's what's about to happen. Um, physical pain yeah. for forever. Um, we'll get into it in there, but. That uh, that Saturday night was not a great was not a great one. We were uh, I was actually out of town Friday after work for racing this weekend. We had a big race, um, two hours away. Drove up there Saturday. I didn't get to watch the game on Friday night because we were at the track all night. Saturday, um, we ended up breaking, not even being able to race. Drove home, got home in time to watch the game, uh, and then that happened. We'll just talk about here in a little bit. But it was not a not a great Friday and Saturday night uh, in this side, but um, you know, first we'll mention Matt's on vacation. Um, so you won't hear his side on the Braves. So we'll probably hear that next week, but uh, taking a well, well needed vacation on his side and, and we'll go ahead and jump right into uh, to that Braves and Philly series um, that saw the Phillies prevail. Yeah. How about that, man? And the Phillies, not only did they prevail, they blew the Braves away in games three and four. It was one, one uh, after the Braves won game two. And the Phillies won three in game three and game four, just absolutely going away. Um, Bryce Harper showed up, man. He had eight hits, a couple of homers, um, and and you know a five hundred average overall in the in the four games. I mean, he he came out to play, but the the big hit of the series, is, and I think the one that uh, sparks the Bat Slam podcast this week is is Reese Hoskins um, hitting just a monster three run home run there. Uh, to really put that game out of reach in game four and, and pretty much send the Phillies uh, on to the NLCS. Yeah. I mean, who would have saw this coming? I mean, we, you know, in our predictions episode, we talked about how this team was, they, they had offensive talent, but the Braves were just deeper, you know, on the offensive side. And then, you know, mentioning the, the pitching staff, you know, you had Aaron Nola, you had um, Zach Wheeler, but those were only the two starts, you know, you were going into game one with Ranger Suarez um, they were kind of able to survive that and they beat freed in game one to really like set the tone for that series. Um, you know, the Braves are able to take that game two back, but the Phillies kind of, you know, when you're, when you're able to steal one of those two games, um, you know, in, in the home team's ballpark, you kind of, you swing home field advantage in your, your direction. Um, and the Phillies, once they got into Philadelphia and we know that crowd is one of the most ruckus and rowdy crowds in all of baseball, um, and it being what 11 years, I think it was since the Phillies had been in the playoffs, you knew citizens bank mm-hmm. park was going to be bumping and they kind of brought the energy and, and that team really showed out. I mean, Harper Reese Hoskins with the bat slam, uh, was one of the most electric moments of the playoffs so far. Um, JT real Muto's inside the park Homer that he had as well was mm-hmm. another one. Uh, you know, this team just, they were able to find a way. I mean, we've worried about their pitching staff and that bullpen, um, but the offense really showed up, and the pitching staff did a really good job. I mean, I think even Syndergaard had a really good start in the series. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the next series that, that they have and, and what to do that way. But um, 
you know, as part of it is I just I don't know what happened to the Braves. I mean, it's just I don't know if they just didn't show up offensively or if they just got kind of shell shocked um, or, or what was really the, the story there. But I think the story of the of the series of that series in general was more that the the Phillies rose to the occasion and kind of just snatched it away from the Braves than the Braves really failing. Well, I was I was actually going to present the opposite point of view here. I think the Braves, not even necessarily the pitching was a problem, but once the pitching got behind, the offense didn't seem to be able to pick up their slack. I mean, they did throw a shutout in game two. So, you know, there was good quality pitching in there. But between, you know, Spencer Strider coming back from the the rest and the injury, but then you have Austin Riley, who's an MVP candidate, had one hit in 15 plate appearances. Marcelo Zuna and Eddie Rosario went hitless in the series. Um, you had Michael Harris had one hit in 14 plate appearances in the series. Uh, and Wilson, William Contreras had one hit in the series in, four, in eight plate appearances. So a huge chunk of the, the guys that you would have expected to show up for the Braves and that the, really the Braves needed to show up didn't show up at all, right? And then Ozzy Albies was still out hurt. Dansby Swanson didn't really show up either. He only had, uh, had, only had two hits. So, you know, just a lot of a lot of problematic plate appearances by the Braves in this series. A lot of strikeouts. 43 strikeouts in four games is kind of monstrous, especially given a Phillies pitching staff that isn't, you know, top tier. Because I don't even think Zach Wheeler got beat in game yeah. two. Like, you know, it wasn't Zach Wheeler. wasn't the top end of this Phillies pitching staff that was blowing them away. I think Aaron Nola only had like four or five strikeouts. And double checking that. Yeah, six, six strikeouts. Yeah. So the, the Phillies pitching wasn't just blowing them away. I, I feel like it was just the Braves. They, they did not feel comfortable. The only one who seemed to be, uh, you know, the only ones who seemed to be comfortable were Darno and an Olsen. And they couldn't keep the Braves afloat with a couple of solo home runs from those guys. Just got a, I think they just got beat by a, a Phillies team that wanted it more here. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting you know topic, and and that sort of allows us to kind of push over to the second series here because I think you're going to have a lot of the same similarities, um, and that's the Dodgers and Padres. Um, you know, looking at that series, you had the uh, the Padres able to pull that one out and move on to the um, National League Championship Series. You know, the Dodgers were able to take Game One at home, but then the Padres basically came back the next three games and really kind of swept them. I mean, we knew game one was going to be a struggle for the Padres with Clevenger on the mound, but then, you know, Darvish, Schnell, and Musgrove, they kind of really were able to set the tone in that in that series. Yeah, uh, you know, I said 45 strikeouts was a lot. Uh, the Padres had 45 strikeouts in the series too, and the Dodgers had 44. Uh, the pitching ruled this series, though. I mean, three of the games ended up 5-3 to three, where just one little clutch hit at the end of the game was all it would take. Um, and, you know, to put one team over the top and, you know, the, the way the pitching seemed to go, man, it, it was any every run felt like a dagger. And the Padres scrapped together five behind you, Darvish, in game two. That was that was pretty huge because you, you know, we, we remember you's kind of blunders with with the Dodgers in the postseason in 2017. And, uh, you know, he's been looking to get back there and, and pitch in the postseason and pitch in those meaningful games. I know he talked about it when he was on the Cubs and. You know, he'd always kind of he didn't re- regret it, but he just hated that he didn't get it done in for the Dodgers in game seven and that and he kind of the, the pitch tipping and stuff. So, um, you know, he always feels like he has a little more extra to prove when he comes to Los Angeles and he came out shoved. Blake Snell was great. 
and then game game four was one of the, one of the better games. You know, you had the the really good game four in in the Phillies and uh, Braves series, but this game four between the Dodgers and Padres was a, kind of an all time classic where there were no big home runs hit. It was all the the kind of the small ball classic rally um, where just a couple of base runners kind of snowballed into a big Padres rally uh, that that finalized with Jake Cronenworth. Um, putting the Padres up for good with a two-run single up the middle. Um, and he was probably the MVP of the Padres series with uh, seven hits, five RBIs, a home run. I mean, he was really, really good. And I think he's the, the leader in championship win probability added. So among all the guys I've seen so far. So um, Cronenworth, man, he he uh, came out to play and the Padres showed that, um, you know, you don't have to have really good offense. You just have to get those those key hits. And I yeah. think that was the the big thing for them. Yeah, and that's sort of what LA lacked. I mean, this was a good series on both sides. They both had base runners. They both worked good at bats. I mean, they they took pitchers deep in counts early early on and, and forced you know were trying to force to get to the bullpens. Um, and it just came down to the the Padres were getting this the timely clutch hits. I mean, you look at that bottom half of that lineup, really, that's been what's really carrying them through. But, I mean, Jake Cronenworth, a 438, he's not really the bottom of the lineup, but he's always been a Dodger killer. Machado batted 357 in this one. But then you had Austin Nola and Trent Grisham. Both had two RBIs. Both had two walks. They both hit over 300 in this series. And they both had timely hits. Um, you know, I think it was, I want to say it was Nola in game two, I want to say, that gave him the lead. Yeah. I think it and was, then, and then and he was, had another big hit in Game Four. Yeah, and then I want to say it was Grisham that hit the go-ahead homer in Game Three to give them the win, and that yep. went two to one. Um, you know, and then even in Game Four, the the it wasn't even the Cronenworth hit that really was the the dagger there. I mean, that was kind of like the final dagger, but the one that really kind of changed the momentum was the Hassan Kim one. Mm-hmm. Um, they had runners on like first and third. I believe at this point, uh, or it was, sorry, they had a runner on second. I forget who it was hit to Freddie and Freddie made it, tried to make a diving play, knocked off his glove and the, they had first and third at that point. And they kind of, Nola. Pulled, yeah, it was Nola. Okay. Yeah. So it was Nola at that point. And then they kind of pulled the infield in a little bit. Yep. And then Kim just bounced it right down the third baseline, right past Max Muncie. Yep. Um, you know, and, and part of me make part of me wonders, not you know this is nothing against the Padres. I'm just this on this side. Uh, Justin Turner wasn't fully healthy going into this series, so he was DHing a lot mm-hmm. or DHing the entire series. And Muncie hadn't played a ton of third this year. I mean, he had played some, but I wonder if Turner isn't able to make that play in that situation. Um, but but Kim was able to bounce it down the line. I think the run scored there, and then I think they had first and second or second and third again at that point, and yep. then that's when. Um, so it was, was it Soto, Soto. next? Soto hit a, Soto hit a single. Soto hit a and single. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then he tried to steal second and they should have thrown him out there and they yep. didn't. And then he was just trying to get the run to score. He's trying to get in a rundown and they just let yeah. him have second. And then Cronenworth yeah, takes Cronenworth it. Cronenworth did that. So I, yeah. this was, this series really was the Dodgers didn't show up in the timely, in the timely situations and the Padres did. I mean, yeah. they both had good at bats. They both got runners on base. The Padres just played a better series and were able to get the timely hits when they needed them. 
And and so I'm going to use this as a, as an opportunity because what the big the big talk on Twitter and on you know all the baseball media right now is wow we just saw two 100 win teams lose in the playoffs and n- never mind what we're about to talk about right because if, if as soon as we get into these next two series is 200 win teams won their won their you know won the expected series um, so. The, the the talk right now seems to be that for some reason this means that the Padres and the Phillies are undeserving when they showed up and played, you know, in the Padres case right there with the hundred win Dodgers. And in the Phillies case, they played above the hundred win Braves. I mean, the Phillies were clearly the better team in the series. So at, at the end of the day, baseball is all about getting into the dance. You have to get your shot. If, if you don't, play you know if you don't go into the season approaching it like every season is a is a gift and, and an opportunity to get into the playoffs which the Dodgers do the Dodgers are in the playoffs every single year and to their credit they've won you know one playoff series you know one playoff ring but they haven't made it, been able to make it all the way there yet but you know you look at every team that's made it there it see it seems like every year there's a team that goes on this kind of a run right you have the you know, since the, the almost since the royals the giants like the cubs the, the red sox the astros the nationals the braves the dodgers every team's had their run and it has been very difficult for teams to string together multiple world series in it in a season, and it's very, very rare that we see the best team win the World Series. You know, I think the Cubs in 2016, the Red Sox in 2018, that, and maybe the Dodgers in 2020. Those are the like the, the teams that won that kind of were deserving of the the World Series. But the baseball playoffs boils uh, baseball games, which we decided on 162 regular six season games over six months. You boil it down to seven games, you're going to get upsets. It's going to function like the first day of the NCAA tournament, where most of the time the favorite wins, but sometimes you get those upsets, and the upsets are what make the you know the baseball interesting and what make you know October baseball so special. If if the best team won every year, if we just handed out a trophy at the end of the regular season, there this would not be you know we would never have moments like this. You would never have moments like you know the the Royals winning the World Series or the uh, the Braves last year, the Nationals, right? None of that would have happened. And and while I think expanding the playoffs to where it is now might have been a little much, especially when you haven't expanded the league, this is fine. I mean, you think the best team that ever, the, the most wins that have ever been accrued by a team was the 2001 Mariners, and they did not win the World Series. Where is their justice, right? If, if we're going to get upset about the Dodgers winning 111 games and then failing to put away the Padres, a team that they beat regularly in the regular season. No, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, my, my whole thing after, after that series ended on Saturday was postseason baseball is different. I mean, it's yeah. just different. The energy, the environment, the, the games, everything is just so much different. It's so it's heightened. You gotta have the you gotta be able to limit the mistakes. You gotta be able to have the clutch and timely hits. You got to be able to pitch well. Um, you know, and I think you've seen those little bits of, of downfall. Like the Dodgers, the past couple weeks of the season or the last couple weeks of the season, weren't playing great baseball either. I mean, mm-hmm. they they weren't playing. They weren't blowing people away like. 
you kind of saw that i don't know if it was that they wore down or just what but they just didn't they weren't playing as good as that either so you you get into this postseason series and in a seven game series anything can happen in a five game series anything can literally happen yeah like you know you could maybe make the argument like hey we should have more seven game series but i mean the wild cards what three and then five now seven and then seven in the world series like in those series most of the time you get the best teams to win i think it, it can be more kind of fluky maybe in the five game series if the, you know it's it's easier for the the worst team to kind of win in those series but you you it, it's postseason baseball like you have to be able to pull it off yourself mm-hmm. i mean like like you mentioned if we just handed that out what what good would this be i mean right. you have the ncaa tournament i mean how many people get into that tournament that you know beat a number one seed and you're like well they shouldn't you know how many times has duke or north carolina or kansas or kentucky or any of those teams lost in the second round mm-hmm. that's not like well they should be the champion it's like no it just happens you know it, it it's what postseason baseball, it's why we love these moments and the energy so much and why it means so much more when you're able to pull it off because it is a grind. These postseason games are the longest games. You have to be on edge at every single moment. And, you know, if the best teams fail in that scenario, they got to regroup it themselves and, and mm-hmm. you know, pick up the pieces and figure out what the hell went wrong. I mean, you know, being, being the Dodger fan, I – heard freeman talk or friedman sorry talk today and he's like this it's an absolute failure like he's like we have no we don't know why we don't know what like we just got beat like we're gonna have to go and regroup for the next two weeks and figure out what the hell happened and this one this hurts i mean that's what it's supposed to happen mm-hmm. and, and that happens it's like i i saw that going around twitter as well and it I was just like, this is this is beyond idiotic, right? Here's and here's the other my other point on this too, and then we'll we'll move to the AL. Um, but the other thing is that the Padres made huge midseason acquisitions and changed the complexity of their team. And you know, the guys they brought in are playoff veterans. Juan Soto, Josh Hader, they've been in the playoffs a bunch, and Hader had his struggles in the regular season. So did Juan Soto. Those guys came up in clutch situations and absolutely dominated. Hater saved all three of the Padres' wins. Soto got the huge hitting game four. Those guys were major presences in the Padres' system, like in the Padres' lineup. And in going out and doing that, you know, you look back on it now, and it's a, it's a resounding success because they won this series. Now they got to go out and finish it off. I haven't checked the score of this game, but they got to go finish off the the Phillies and get in the World Series. But you know, paying a huge price for Juan Soto, changing the clo- the you know the culture of that locker room halfway through the season, essentially pulling the lifeblood from the Brewers who missed the playoffs, and it, with Josh Hader. And even though Hader struggled for the Padres in the regular season, he's in there. He's he locked down every game. He was throwing 100 miles an hour. He was absolutely electric. You, you know, and and I look at what the Dodgers did at the deadline. They they got Chris Martin, who was good. And that was it. They they felt very satisfied with you know complacent almost with their with their their team. They didn't really try to change anything. They didn't make the the Max Scherzer and Trey Turner move. They didn't go get Mookie Betts. They they were just kind of like we're not going to overpay for anybody. We're just going to you know be good around the edges. I'm not going to say that that was the reason, 
but it, it definitely feels like it could have been in this in this instance because that team is always winning 100 games is always in the playoffs they didn't get anybody in there that was going to change whether or not they got you know to the world series they didn't improve by anything and they allowed a team like the padres to close up with them no i i sorry i can make the argument on this one though they were in on the Soto talks. They finished second on the Soto talks. So they were right there. And it's also, I mean, sure, they traded for a Gallo too, but whatever. That, I mean, he, was, no, he no. wasn't even playing. Um, but on a team like that, where, where, who were you supposed to go after that was going to make your team better? I mean, you yeah. went after the star player in Juan Soto. You did. I mean, but you also didn't know that Walker Buehler was going to have to have Tommy John surgery and wasn't going to return that year. You didn't know that Tony Gonsolin, you know, in the end of August or beginning of September, who was having, you know, a Cy Young caliber season was going to go on the injured list and not be the same and barely make it back for the playoffs. He wasn't even fully healthy. You weren't sure that Blake Trinan was going to come back. So you acquired a reliever in Chris Martin, who was really good. You didn't know that Dustin May was going to be as of as ineffective as he was. He came back. He was solid at times, but. I mean, there was legitimate things. You didn't know Chris Taylor was going to have a neck injury and not be able to hardly play either. Like, there's just little things yeah. that I don't think you could have. I don't think it's fair right. to say that they didn't make the move because they were in on the big move. And outside of that move, there was nothing else around the edges of that team that they could have really done at the time to know that they would have needed to get better. Right. And what it really comes down to in, in the playoff series is. I think they had the lack of energy. They had the business-like mentality. They just thought we're gonna we're good enough. We'll figure it out, and they didn't, and they got beat. Yeah, yep. And that's the thing. But enough rambling on from my end. I know, um, <laughs> I know, I rambled on a lot about that one. But uh, no, we'll, no go ahead, we'll go ahead and jump over to the AL side now, and we'll start with the Seattle Mariners against the Houston Astros. And you know, game one. It looked like it was going to be Seattle. I mean, Seattle yeah. jumped out uh, against Justin Verlander in that first inning, got a run, came back in the second inning, got three more, and then in the fourth, got two more. I mean, they were up 6 nothing on the Astros there, and then the Astros were able – or sorry, the Astros got two in the third, so it was 6-2 at a time. And then the Astros got one in the fourth to make it 6-3. Uh, the Mariners got one in the seventh to make it 7-3, and then they got two in the eighth. And then in the ninth inning, Jordan Alvarez with a walk-off three-run homer against Robbie Ray, of all people. Um, and I really feel like that just took the wind out of the Mariners' sails there and allowed Houston to kind of dominate and then sweep this series. Yeah, we, and that's without mentioning the 18-inning game three they played um, on, I believe that was Sunday, where Houston just, they played deep into the night and Jeremy Pena finally hit a, a home run late, but... That was um, that was an, a very wild first game, and to the point that the Robbie Ray move to get to go for Jordan Alvarez. I mean, we were we've been talking about Robbie Ray the whole time as kind of the weak link of the Mariners, and he comes in in relief, throwing a sinker, which is not one of Robbie Ray's primary pitches. He he normally is forcing fastball, curveball. Primary pitches, like 75%. I'll have to look it up whether or not that's exactly it, but he's mostly a four-seam fastball guy. He comes in, he throws a sinker to Jordan Alvarez, on like, and he just it leaks right over the middle of the plate, and Jordan hit, killed it. I mean, 
that is the least likely possible outcome of a, a formerly six two Astro or Mariners lead that I could have possibly expected from this game. I mean, they they have so many really talented arms and they really got I think they just got a little too cute. Um with that move, you know, you're trying to get righty lefty and trying to, you know, outthink it. You know, we're not going to start Robbie Ray, so we'll just use him here. And Ra- and Ray came in and he pitched good in game three, but it's he he just he wasn't the same this year as he was last year, and that was kind of evident through the Blue Jays series, and it was evident here. Jordan Alvarez, man, he has a, a almost twelve percent championship win probability added uh, over the the first three games here in this series because of that home run and then the hit in game two. And he had a, uh, an intentional walk that led to a Bregman uh, hit in game two as well. So um, this Astros lineup's really good. Jose Altuve didn't even have a hit and they still, you know, played well enough to win this series pretty much going away too. I, this team's going to be really dangerous and, you know, that's without Justin Verlander looking good. That's without Jose Altuve showing up. Um, I, I'm, I'm, definitely nervous i'd be nervous if i was the yankees because the astros i think conquered they conquered fate in this series a little bit and that makes them. i think that means they're going to be a dangerous team coming going forward yeah i mean if you look at the series right justin verlander gave up six runs in in this series Framber Valdez gave up two runs, which is kind of a typical Framber Valdez start, right? Like he's a, he's a quality start guy. He went five and two thirds with two runs. I think that's about what you could probably expect. The only other guy that gave up a run on that pitching staff was Christian Javier. And he gave up one. Everybody else in that bullpen or starting rotation went scoreless. Lance McCullers had a six inning scoreless start. Luis Garcia, six inning scoreless. Brian Abreu, Hunter Brown, both three innings scoreless Rafael Montero another three innings scoreless like we went into this series saying the pitching staff was going to be the weakness of the Astros the pitching staff was going to be the advantage for the Mariners they were going to win by out pitching the Astros and the Astros went in there and out pitched them right it like literally if the Astros are able to pitch like this 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 is this team would be unstoppable you know, it's it's easy to say they're, they're their best team left in the playoffs at the moment, especially if they're able to pitch like that, because, you know, Altuve is going to bounce back like he, he's not going to go hitless in the next series. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to have Jordan Alvarez be just fine as well. Like I, I, this team is just really dangerous. And, you know, there was something around that Mariners team. They fought hard until the end. They had the lead in game one. Game two was still a close game as well. I think it was four two, and then that you know that eighteen inning that went six hours and like twenty two minutes game. Um, they're a really fun team. I'm gonna be excited to watch them. They're gonna be around for a long time. They're only gonna get better. Um, but this was just kind of the Astros being the Astros and, and kind of proving the point there uh, in in this series. The Mariners are in good hands. Julio uh, Rodriguez was really good and made a really good catch there. Uh, in the third game to keep the game scoreless. Uh, and then George Kirby's been excellent in this playoffs. I, I'm not at all worried for the Mariners. I think this is their upswing. You know, they, they won a big playoff series. They made the playoffs again, broke the schneid. Now the focus can be on, you know, improving the team in the offseason and going for, you know, go, coming after the Astros and, and trying to close that gap in the a, in the AL West. As for the Astros, I, you know, Yuli Gurriel had like six hits or something. It, 
it's a this is a team that even even with you know some struggles from some big names they everybody came out and played well everyone that they needed to the the recipe you, you see the recipe for the Astros winning they're going to pitch well everyone on the team's going to pitch well and then they're going to get big hits from their big names and that's that's how they're going to win these the games that's how they're going to go into the ALCS is almost a boring team to talk about because they have so many like skilled skilled players. Like we haven't even mentioned Kyle Tucker or Jer- you know Pena hit the home run. You know, those guys were rock solid in this series again, and, and it's just going to be a matter of uh, the Astros finding um, finding those runs off of the the Yankees' offense and then trying to hold them down. So um, I know this one's more a previewish, but but eighteen innings. I mean that was a a very very long game of scoreless baseball. Just crazy game i wonder if the astros will be fatigued after that that would be maybe my only thing um but they, they're gonna get a long rest anyway so I, they should be fine well if uh the astros are gonna be fatigued so is the team they're gonna be facing uh right. it is gonna be pretty fatigued with the guardians and yankees uh series that um you know we don't have the updated stats through game five because it just happened this mm-hmm. afternoon it uh i think a couple of those games got just uh, postponed um, it backed them up to today's game, but the Yankees are able to win in five. Um, you know, Yankees take good game one there on, on the back of Garrett Cole, who had an amazing start. Game two, Guardians were able to win four to two, you know, kind of flip that home field advantage like I was talking about um, in the, the Braves and Phillies series. Um, then they were able to win game three. The Guardians were six to five, went into game four, and Garrett Cole, you know, shoved again. I think he was, I think it was seven innings with like eight strikeouts or something like that in game game four. And then game five got, to, got postponed today. And I, I, I'm really interested. I mean, I know we'll never know, but to see what that game would have looked like if it had to be played yesterday rather than today, because if it was today, they were able to start Nestor Cortez on three days rest where yesterday he would have only been able to go like an inning or two out of the bullpen. And they would have had to start Jamison tie on as well. And I think you might've had a different conversation to the series, but the Yankees were able to jump all over Aaron Savali in the, the first inning. Giancarlo Stanton hit a three-run homer. I think Rizzo hit an RBI single, and then Judge hit a homer as well. Um, yep. it, later on, I think Savali only got one out for them, and they were very, very reluctant to, to do Shane Bieber on three days rest, which could have been their downfall. It's it's funny. I There's no way I would have pitched Aaron Savali in this game, and he has been horrible this year. And, and, you know, I'm not Terry Francona. Terry Francona is a World Series winning manager, but I can't understand that logic. Even if I'm just pitching an inning or two of Bieber and then I'm going to the bullpen and I'm using Stefan and I'm using Class A and I'm using all those guys for two innings, I would way rather do that and continue playing than throw Savale out there and immediately give up more runs than my team can score. Just just a, a horrible decision there, which really flipped the series off or flipped the series on its head because I think the Indians had, or Guardians had the uh, the advantage for the most part uh, going in to game five there, you know, or game four rather because the Yankees were down and came back. But game two or was it two or three, Josh Naylor hits a big home run and does a little crying baby celebration on Garrett Cole and made this series a little a little chippy but no that was um, game 4 it was game 4 yeah and and the Yankees come back and win that game anyway right and and it's it now they're feeling it i, I almost wonder if that was kind of the turning point where Naylor kind of set up the Yankees to fail honestly because i think they were even still down the guardians were at that point and 
the Yankees were able to hold him off. Naylor wasn't really able to do anything else. And um, Anthony Rizzo had a really good series. Aaron Judge hit the home run. Harrison Bader hit three home runs in this series. So contact hitter, defensive center fielder, Harrison Bader. And I know I was talking about the Yankees playing really good defense and kind of out scrappying the, the Guardians, but they they really they did it on their on the strength of their home runs and their pitching in this one. Uh, Garrett Cole, a lot of strikeouts. They were able to to kind of make the Guardians more susceptible to to the strikeouts than anybody else. But Cole was the MVP of the series for sure. 16 strikeouts and two starts. Um, just monster performance from him and and from the power packed Yankees lineup. And and I I do I game five I do feel like the the Guardians really screwed up there by even sending um, even sending him to the mound. Uh, Savale. Oh gosh, what's his name? Savale, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he only went one out, and then you went to Sam Hentges, who went in eight and two-thirds, and then you went to Stefan, who went for two and a third, then you went to Karinchek, who went two and a third, and then Klasse for an inning and a third to get through this game. Like, you have the entire mold right there. Hentges and Stefan both gave up a run at themselves, but you, you have the mold there because mm-hmm. if Bieber were to go two innings on that in, in that, then you have Hinches only has to go an inning. Stefan probably only has to go an inning, right? Or an inning yeah. and a third or an inning and two thirds. And then you can go Karen check and then to Classe. And that's not even mentioning like Eli Morgan, who had, Eli was, Morgan. who had been one of their better relievers as well. Didn't even pitch in this game. So you could have, you could have easily maneuvered it around to even go a full bullpen game to go like Eli Morgan, Hinches, Stefan. I mean, if all of those guys are pitching two innings or an inning and two thirds, or more than one inning plus in general, you could have made it a bullpen game around those guys rather than sending a guy who had, like, I think it was close to a five. It might have been like a 492 ERA on the season who had been really, really bad for you so far. Like, against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium in game five, like, that's just not a good match. You t- you get hit, put a guy out there who's been getting hit all year in a bandbox stadium against a team who's just waiting to slug. You also have, you also had uh, Oscar Gonzalez have another heroic effort in. I think it was Game Two when the the Guardians came back and won late. Um, and yeah, the scene in Cleveland on that game. I don't I don't know if you saw it. The the it was from an apartment across the street from the the stadium when when Gonzalez hits that that two run double to to win the game. It was a two run homer to win the game. Just a so loud. Actually, that was Game Three. But it was it was so loud from across the street. It sounded like you were standing in the stadium, and I know it sounded even louder. I mean, Cleveland was up for the the Guardians there, and I think they just let them down. Honestly, you know, the team was going to play scrappy. They were going to hit the ball on the ground. Stephen Kwan was really good this series. Jose Ramirez was his usual self. I, I just I think the the pitching wildly enough let Cleveland down in this one, and that was going to be the way they won it. McKenzie wasn't good. Lost game one, and, or I think it was game two. I think it was game three. Yeah. (laughs) Counting my way up. Um, He wasn't good, but uh, Quantrill wasn't good. Yankees won that one. Just, you know, they had their chances. They won the two games that they did. um, Strength on the strength of, you know, the, their lineup, putting the ball in play, especially against the Yankees bullpen, you know, Clark Schmidt gave up kind of a bunch of runs late because he's trying to put out a fire when the Yankees were up in game three, but I mean, all in all, I, I I think this this Cleveland team had more 
but the Yankees were a better team, better prepared for a series like this, and they were much better managed in this series, which is weird to say because Aaron Boone is always on the hot seat for for New York, but my man threw Garrett Cole out there, let him go, and threw Nestor Cortez out there, let him go. You know, even on short rest, you just you put Nestor out there, you let him pitch. He's really good at managing his pitch count. He's really good at managing contact. You know, that's it's they they did exactly what they needed to do in this series. Uh, New York did, and and that that gets him the W. Yeah, it it kind of feels like Aaron Boone was on the hot seat in this series. I mean, when they were down two to one, everyone was already calling for Boone to be fired. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Guardians. You know, I, pre- I I picked the Guardians in this series and it was up just it was everything that I thought going into this series, what was going to happen for them to have a chance. Right. We knew the Yankees were going to come out quick against Cal Quantrill in, in Yankee Stadium. Then you needed to find a way to win the Beaver in the McKenzie games. You did that. And then you had to just win one of the next two. You had Quantrill starting at home, which was. You know, where he's been a lot better this year, you had a really good game, but you just happen to run into another bus off Garrett Cole. Like, and then you go to game five where you have, you have the scenario set up there where you have either Bieber or that bullpen and you just, you just went with Savali and that, and that's ultimately what ended up costing you. But this team they put up a fight, and I think I think they put up a lot more fight than people were giving them credit for going into this series. They're one of they are, I believe, the youngest team in the major leagues, and they're showing a lot of promise. I mean, Jose Ramirez, we know what he is, but Stephen Kwan, I mean, yeah. uh, Andres Jimenez didn't really play well in this series. Oscar Gonzalez didn't really play well. Josh Naylor didn't really play well. I mean, you're talking Gonzalez, about Gonzalez well, and Naylor both had their big hits, but I mean, yeah. and they had big hits. But I'm talking about in the in the broad spectrum of this series. They didn't play yeah. well. I mean, you had Stephen Kwan and Jose Ramirez both hit 412 in this series. And then we the don't next, have all the stats yet, though. Well, yeah, also, but so I, well, I got they didn't, screwed up on that. They, they didn't hit much in the, the fifth game. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Very I mean, cool, ju- just looking at this, you have, you know, their third highest hitter was Gabriel Arias with seven at bats. Outside of that, everyone was below 250 going into game five where they didn't hit much in the first place. Like this is a young team. They're going to get better. They're incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Still, they can develop pitching. They're developing young hitting to and playing good defense. And they have an energy around them that's really, really fun. This team will be around for a while. Well, the the question surrounding this franchise in Cleveland is the same as it's always been, and it's will they the owners allow the team to supplement? Because there there is a good core here, but. You know, if they don't add to it, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of flameouts in the, in the, in the playoffs, just like this, because they just aren't going to have the depth. They just aren't going to have that quality. I mean, how long has it been since they've had a quality hitting outfielder until this season with Stephen Kwan? It's been years since like Michael Brantley days. So, um, you know, I I would like to see them spend a little money, try to make this team a little bit better, but. You know, that and you're going up against the Yankees. I mean, the, the team that spends, you know. The, obvious you know the obvious uh you know scapegoat for spending money in sports is the new york yankees and you can just kind of see that with with the guys who did hit well you know anthony rizzo hit well and and john carlos stanton hit well and uh garrett cole 300 million dollar man goes in and just shoves in the playoffs finally you know so um 
you know, the spending of the Yankees really shown through in this series and shows that, yeah, it's good to, to spend money sometimes if you want to win baseball games. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and jump over to predicting the championship series now, and we'll go ahead and start in the National League since we already have that game ongoing here. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and let you, you predict first and break down your side of it. Phillies are up 1-0 to zero in the top of the fourth. Bryce Harper, solo um, homer. Yeah, so the, it's funny. I mean, I'm going to say exactly what I said before the last Phillies series, which is if Bryce Harper, who, again, hit 500, hit three homers in the last series and is now homebird in this series already, if he is shows up playing like the MVP that we know he can be, if Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler are in dominant form, I am going to have a very tough time picking against this Phillies team. That being said, this Padres team has got all the fight in the world. We saw it against the Dodgers. We saw it when they were down in game four. They came crawling back. You you can't let up, you know, let your guard down. But the way the Phillies have been playing and the way that they seem to be, they feel like team, the new team of destiny after the Mariners left. I, I, I think I'm going to pick the Phillies in this, but it's going to be like six or seven games. This one's going to go down to the wire, and I don't I don't think you're going to have a bad game in this series. I think these teams are going to be slugfesting back and forth, you know, between Harper, Schwarber, um, Nick Castellanos. You've got, you know, Mitch Shotto and Juan Soto and you know, Brandon Drury and Josh Bell and some of these other guys in the Padres. You know, Trent Grisham's been playing really well in the playoffs. It, it's going to be – down to which pitching staff can slow the other offense down the most. Um, and the Phillies have been, were able to do that with a, a team that I think both of us would say is stronger in the Braves. The Padres pitching staff was able to shut down the Dodgers and they're stronger. So at this point, you know, it's kind of a wild card basically because these teams are a little less skilled than those teams that we would have expected to be here. Um, so what I'm excited about here is, these these offenses going up against these kind of maybe a little bit less good pitching staffs and like you Darvish will be good and I think Joe Musgrove will be good but you know once you get into that that Padre bullpen and you get past I think it's um oh man I can't remember that guy's name Suarez or Robert, Robert Suarez Robert Suarez that guy's really good but once you get past him I mean the, the Padres bullpen definitely has some warts and so does the uh, the Phillies bullpen David Robertson I think will be back for this series but. You know, I think it'll be Phillies in like seven with some epic moments and maybe another another bat slam. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, for this series, I think it goes one of two ways. It goes a short series in the Phillies win or a long series in the Padres win. I just if I, I like the Padres depth throughout their pitching staff a lot better and offensively they can match up with the Phillies. You know, it's going to come down to if they're able, if the Phillies are going to have to need Wheeler Nola to win, and then you're going to have to get a good start from Cindergaard, right? For at that point where the Padres, yeah. you have you Darvish in game one, you're probably going to go Snell in game two, who Snell was hit or miss here or there, but he can find ways to be effective. Musgrove, who's another one of those big game pitchers for them. We've mentioned the depth in their bullpen. I doubt that. I mean, they might have to start Clevenger, but I would assume they'd probably work their way around that. Maybe start somebody else instead. Um, 
I just I think in a it being a seven game series, if it goes that long, I just think that the the Padres will wear down that Phillies pitching staff. Right, we've we've had legitimate questions about their their bullpen throughout the season. In both of the first two series, we said that, and it hasn't come back to bite them yet. Are they going to be able to do it through another seven game series? That's going to be a real question mark. Yep. If if they're able to do that, if if the bullpen withstands, the the Phillies will win this series. But I don't know in a seven game series that it'll be able to to withstand the Padres um, offensively. So I'm going to go with the Padres over the Phillies in a long series. That's going to be my official prediction. But if this goes to a short series, I think the Phillies will win on that side. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean. It's gonna be it's gonna be close. I think is the the ultimate thing, unless the the Phillies just you know do what they did in games four and five or three and four, and blow away the 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 Padres like they did the Braves. On to the ALCS. Who do you have winning versus Astros versus Yankees? Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with the Astros in the series. I just the Yankees showed the. Le- showed against the guardians that they are able to be beat. And this Astros team is a lot better than the guardians team. They have a lot better pitching um, throughout the entire, you know, a lot better pitching than the Yankees, I should say through their entire rotation wise. And then to the, into the bullpen and the offense, you know, if you get the Aaron judge and the John Carlos Stanton that struggled in this series, against the Astros, that's going to be really hard for the Yankees to score. And the Astros just have that clutch gene. They have the experience. They've been deep in the postseason runs. You know, if, if they're able to withstand Garrett Cole and win one of his starts in the series, it, you know, they could get railroaded. They could railroad the Yankees. And with the Yankees having, you know, being multiple postponed games and then this one that was supposed to be yesterday and then it got postponed to today and game one starts tomorrow like in houston again it's it's a really short turnaround it's really long days for the yankees and then having to fly over to houston and play two in houston i believe back-to-back days i could be wrong on that but i believe it's back-to-back days and then then you'll be able to regroup for a day. I think it's going to be a lot, especially early in this series. And if the Astros take those two games, I think it's downhill from the Yankees from there. Yeah, I think the the Yankees are a flawed team with very much emphasis on the the three true outcomes, where you've got you know the walks, the strikeouts, the homers. Um, you know, we saw that with just kind of the production from the Yankees lineup in this series. You know, Oswaldo Cabrera hit a homer. Harrison Bader had three. Judge had two. Rizzo hit a homer. You know, like Stanton hit a homer in that third game. You know, up and down the lineup, a lot of homers. Josh Donaldson had like four walks. Um, I think you'll see a lot of just working the count against this Astros pitching staff. But the thing is, is that the Astros do not walk a lot of batters. Uh, they come into the zone. They are not afraid to challenge. I don't think they will be afraid of Judge. Um, even though he's hit what 64 home runs now, maybe 65. It's eh, 64. Um, I think he's only had two. The and, and the Astros have every bit the potent lineup that the Yankees do, um, with definitely a better pitching staff. Um, and, and it just showed in that Mariners series, the, the Astros were just able to shut down a team that had been 
very, very cohesive in stringing runs together. And, you know, after that first game with Verlander, I don't expect Verlander to look bad again. Um, but if he does, you know, that, that'll help the Yankees. But the every game after the Cole-Verlander game, it's going to be a, you know, an advantage for Houston in the starting pitching side. And that's not including the bullpen where Houston again has the advantage. So I'm, I'm picking the Astros. They're, they're just a better team, but like we saw with both NL DS series, it doesn't matter (laughs) who the better team is when it comes to a short series like this, whoever can just go out and play the better baseball and get the bigger hits uh, in the better moments. That's who's going to win this series. This one feels like one that'll be over in five, um, whether it be the Yankees that kind of start just they, they come together, they start torching the Astros pitching, and that you know they're able to shut them down. I mean Altuve is like over sixteen or something, you know. If if some of those other guys start fault fading like Altuve has, um, I think Alvarez might be hurt too from that last game. In that last game where that went eighteen innings, I think he was like over seven or something. So, um. I do worry about that, but overall, I, I think Houston's just, I think Houston's going to beat the, beat the Yankees here. And they, they've beaten them twice before in this series to go to the World Series 2017 and 2019. So um, that's, I think, third time. Third time's not the charm for the Yankees. I think they're going to be looking up at the Astros at the end of the day. Yeah. And postseason baseball, it's like we were saying earlier, postseason baseball is different. I mean, we can, mm-hmm. we, we said it in last series with all those teams that are a lot better. Then, you know, the Braves and Dodgers were better teams than the Phillies and, and Padres, and they got beat. The Astros are a better team than the Yankees, but it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to move on. Um, there, There is a scenario where the Yankees are able to win, but they have to come out and jump on the Astros right away. Um, so that, that's really going to be the yeah. recipe is jump on them right away and basically punch them in the mouth and then don't don't allow them to come back like the, the Mariners did. Because I think you saw the Mariners do that in game one against the Astros. If they were able to win that game, I think you would have seen a different series. Yeah, I I think this series is a four or five game series, no matter what happens. I just if I'm if I'm thinking odds, I'm thinking it's like a 75 percent chance the Astros are the ones that slow the Yankees and 25 percent chance it's the Yankees slowing the Astros. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, and then to uh, to wrap up on the prediction side, we we did get Matt's predictions, um, and he's going with Astros over the Yankees, and he's also going with Padres over Phillies. So I think Matt and I have the same predictions, and uh, David has is with us on the ALCS, and then he varies on the NLCS. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, I like the Padres a lot, so I I gotta do the the old reverse tactic here. I I, I like you know, I like the Phillies and the Padres. I think I'm gonna be cheering for whoever wins in the NL. Um, cause those teams are just really fun. Both of them feature former Cubs. So, uh, some of my, some of my favorite guys uh, in the game are, are on both of these teams. So, um, pretty, pretty neutral overall on who wins it, but you know, I'll pick the Phillies. I think I just, you know, seven game series, it's going to be long. That one feels to me like a more competitive series. It's got the makings of one of those, you know, seven game classics. I'm also going with the reverse jinx on the uh, NL side, <laughs> hoping that uh, hoping we could see a Bryce Harper uh, World Series because I think that'd be pretty electric again. But yep. the way he's playing, especially he, he he's got you know NLCS MVP, World Series MVP, playoff MVP well, um, look about him right now. Yeah, and and I mean 
it was the year after he left that the Nationals went on to win that World Series, and it's like he, you know, he was part of building that, never got there, and it'd be fun to see him, see him get there in the. Uh, how energetic he is in that atmosphere would be pretty fun. But um, any last things you want to wrap up on? I want to mention that uh, the teams that are facing off in the NLD, NLCS right now are the teams that spent money in the 2018 to 19 offseason, uh, the signers of Harper and Machado, and they're going head to head. And it's good to spend money. Uh, free agency is going to be exciting. And I, you know, I encourage everybody in there. Uh, online chats to encourage the free agent signings and the teams to spend money and not to uh, skimp on it because you're looking at teams that um, many a team wishes they were where the Phillies and Padres are right now. Um, and I, I, I distinctly remember that the the card the White Sox wouldn't go above two hundred and fifty million dollars for Machado and uh, boy they sure were about a uh, about a good MVP candidate third baseman away from making the playoffs this year. So interesting how that works. Yeah, it's interesting that both of those were in the same draft class, you know, drafted just yep. one spot apart or two spots technically, one and two, yeah. One and three they were drafted. So there's really only number two in the middle of them. But I who is that one? Was that Bregman? Was that the Bregman draft no, too? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's a nobody. Or it might be like Jeremy Hellickson or something. Yeah, that's right. I'm it gotta look like it up. Twenty ten. Yeah, it's twenty ten. Who was that? Jamison Talon. Actually, oh, he's still alive he's, around too. He's in the Yankees. So we have a one, yep. we have one, two, and three still from that draft class in the playoffs. But um, you know, yeah, that that is a pretty interesting matchup there because you know they were kind of battling each other head to head in that year to get who's going to get the higher contract, and, and Harper won that one. So it'll be interesting to see on the on field side whose team has more success. But uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Bat Slam podcast. We're going to wrap it up with that as well. Um, But thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next week.